Okay, buddy, just wrapped up a new episode. Awesome conversation with Dr. Sarah Sarkis and Dr. Chris Bertram. Big fan of both of them. They have a wonderful podcast of their own right called Shadow Boxing. Sarah has a history in clinical psychology, still a licensed psychologist, but is a woman of many, many different talents and skills and knowledge bases, refers to herself as a Jedi of the unconscious, which I think is a super cool title. Dr. Chris Bertram is an applied neuroscientist and a professor at a university in Canada, but also works with the Canadian National Snowboard Team. So they brought really, really interesting, cool, unique perspectives, I think, to this dialogue around human flourishing. And I think one of my favorite conversations today, what were some of the highlights for you? Yeah, man, I love this. I liked digging in deep to what shadow boxing is and its role in flourishing. So it had various aspects to it, but shadow boxing being this kind of battle you have with maybe you know internal struggle, self-limiting beliefs, those, those voices that tell you, you know, you can't do something and how we navigate that space and how that relates to flourishing. And in connection with that, both Sarah and Chris gave a stack of practical advice on how we could endure through struggle, be it mental or physical like on the physical side like cold water exposure on the mental side things like using breathwork techniques to calm yourself down both psychologically and physically and then connecting all that with flourishing like a unique approach yep. we've had towards flourishing's podcast that speakers our guests haven't usually delved into what about you did you also like this area? exactly the same it's it's their range of expertise and the way they're able to get out of their own silos both as a collaborative team but just as remarkably intelligent and experienced individuals it was absolutely excellent. So I hope you all enjoy. Here's our episode with Dr. Chris Bertram and Dr. Sarah Sarkis. Yo, dudes. Hey, buddy. How's it going? What's up, man? How are you guys? It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Well, Chris, John, John, Chris. Hey, John. How are you? Hey, Chris. How you doing, man? Really good. Nice to meet you. You, too. It's been hectic. Honestly, it's been a bit of a busy stretch. We're in a bit of a sprint on some projects at Exos right at the moment, but I pulled up stakes at the house and we came into the mountains. So I'm actually, uh, when I'm done here, I think I'm going to sneak out and grab some fresh snow. Love to get out there. So we're going to be, hey, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. How Guess you doing? Join the party. We're just saying hello. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, John, John, Sarah. Hi, John. Hey, Sarah, it's an honor to meet you. Oh, great to connect. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah, we've both John and I were saying before you got on, we've really enjoyed listening to a bunch of the the different episodes of Shadow Boxing over the last week or two. And, you know, we've had Chris and I talked about this. We've had on a couple of similar, you know, overlapping guests, but really enjoyed your your conversation with Todd, amongst others. But Todd was a highlight as well. Beautiful. So Let's get rolling here. First question, you've come together as, I think, both colleagues and friends at Exos, but also as co-hosts of the podcast Shadow Boxing. I want to get into Shadow Boxing. We want to get into Shadow Boxing. But first question is, is that about Shadow Boxing psychologically or is that just a Wu-Tang shout out or both? It's always both. Yeah, it's both. It's a bunch of things. And we, as you guys know, coming up with a name for a podcast can be a bit of a daunting exercise. And and we had a name actually previously picked out. And and then one day I was having a just an off-the-cuff conversation with Sarah about another topic. And she had mentioned something along the lines that she was sort of shadow boxing this whole conversation in her head. We got off the call and about a half an hour later, I wrote and I said, we need to rename our podcast and it needs to be shadow boxing. 
So Sarah, what, what's your recollection of that genesis of the name? Yeah, that's exactly how I remember it. And, you know, it just sounded fun and great. And I'm sort of generally somebody that like, if somebody comes up with a creative idea, I'm like completely ready to try it out often long before it's ready. Chris is always like, slow your roll there. (laughs) I think it's great. Yeah. The interesting thing was it meant very different things to us. So when we said, okay, that's a great name. And I thought it, it was a great name for a very different reason than Sarah did. So for me, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, but my academic interest is really around the idea of learning and how you need to kind of step outside of your comfort zone in order to engage in a process that serves you in the long run. And there's a lot of sort of internal shadow boxing that serves the good in those types of situations. But Sarah, the meaning of it to you is a little bit different, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Well, what I love is that our meanings are completely on brand with who mm. we've become, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So mine is, of course, all the space between the ears. People shadow box with beliefs and assumptions and stories of themselves, of their past. They also shadow box with very real events of their past. And this gets all sort of tumbled inside of us. And there is a part of the equation of performance. And as I get older, I'd say a large part of the equation of performance that is about shadow boxing with all this stuff that's inside of you. And that's how I think about it as. And I used it the way I think about it with Chris. I said, I've been shadow boxing this conversation for decades with a particular guest who we wanted to have on. And, you know, it's like I've been going over in my mind for decades about the conversation I would have with this yeah. person and what it would look like. Yeah. Well, it just perfect. kind of became what you're fighting for and what you're fighting with. That's the, uh, that's the jingle. <laughs> Love that. There's the promotional reel right there. What you're yeah. fighting for. And what yeah. you're just fighting come back with, into my head yeah. now. I'm just singing it, singing it in my head. Shadowboxing <laughs> with my singer self in my head. Yeah. <laughs> you took us there. That's exactly, exactly where we wanted to go, which is just kind of understand that term. But you also naturally took us to really our original plan for the first question, which is you've come together, I think out of shared goals and a shared sense of purpose, but with really different backgrounds. Did you go into shadow boxing and your collaboration with and and through Exos? What is that shared goal look like? You know, what are you what are you both hoping to do? What's the collaboration all about? Yeah, I want I'm intrigued by this pink card you just Oh, that's nothing. That's just uh, that's just residual ADD in a middle-aged woman fidgeting over here. It looked like you were about to pull up a, like a, a present or an answer to this question you pre-prepared. Like, here's one I made earlier. Here, here it is, guys. Sorry, yeah, no, no. Okay, so I mean, this is a big question, right? But I'm going to sort of take it from the behind the scenes and then we'll eventually land the plane on the Hudson. I met Chris through Flow Research Collective with our friend and mentor and favorite rascal, Stephen Kotler. John's an FRC coach, by the way. Okay. So we're all here alumni and or currents, right? So I met Chris. And for me, you know, sometimes I have encounters in life where you just meet somebody and you're like, oh, we were like separated at birth. Like there's something, because Chris is completely different than me, but there's something so deeply complimentary about how we immediately kind of started working together. And I warned him after the weekend in Seattle in 2020, before the world shut down, I warned him, which was an FRC event, that I was coming for him. And we were 
going to do something together. And he gave me all the lovely platitudes of like, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. And we, another colleague that we all know was there. She was like, yeah, he has no idea. <laughs> and I just quietly plotted, dropping like every once in a while being like, oh, we should do this and we should do that. And Chris was sort of simultaneously sealing his fate by bringing me into Exos as a consultant. So we were having more and more interaction once I laid it on heavy. There's really no option but to just complete the task to get it over with, if for nothing else. And our primary shared goal was we wanted to have a side project that we held no financial responsibility on it. It didn't have to earn us a penny. In fact, we knew it was going to cost us something. The shared vibe we wanted to have was we wanted to have as much fun as we possibly could, even through like bumbles and mistakes and the mess of trying to look like you know what you're doing when you don't. We wanted to be able to like engage guests in a deep way. So we sort of decided immediately we wanted it long form and we kept it an hour. Yeah. Is that how would you summarize that, Chris? I think that's pretty close to what I would say. I think that the piece that I would really highlight is the fact that, you know, I think we just generally get along well and we make each other laugh. And and my whole motto about whether to say yes or to say no to any project in my life is it's got to be doing cool stuff with cool people. And that checked all those boxes. It's why we said yes to come on this podcast today. We think what you guys are doing is great. But the other piece I would add to it is the world of psychology has always been a real interest of mine, but it's not my academic background. I mean, I study learning and I study how to optimize for performance, but not through a psychologist lens. But that's a real problem, right? Whenever you're trying to say, well, this is the technique that has been shown to drive performance forward. You have to remember that in those types of studies, there are human beings and each of those human beings has a mind. And we don't cross that barrier very often. But I know that when it comes down to really sitting one-on-one with an elite athlete or, you know, a CEO with a lot of pressure, like what are the tangible things that will work in the real world? If you're not paying attention to the mind of that person, you're just not serving them well. So I've become sort of an armchair psychologist and I very much rely on the expertise of Sarah. So we have like some professional compliments here, but yeah, I think at the the heart of it, it's just, yeah, we laugh a lot. Nice. Yeah. You can tell, you can tell you both enjoy doing the show and, and I'm sure enjoy working together as well. And so, I mean, just a little bit more about your back and Sarah, I love in your bio, this term Jedi of the unconscious. I think that's probably like, I always talk about Richard Wiseman as a luck scientist. That's like one of the coolest titles I've heard, but Jedi of the unconscious certainly, certainly rivals it. So your background, licensed psychologist, right? Chris, your background more in in the neuroscience world, you've both always struck me as not being in silos, like you have a range of knowledge and expertise. But I what I think I hear in your responses is that you're both learning a lot from each other along the way as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, when it's always been one thing to sit in a research lab and try to control situations and control variables and and reduce everything down to the one thing you're trying to track change on. But when it comes to people who really have skin in the game, you know, people who are putting their lives on the line or the reputations on the line, reductionist type thinking doesn't really work. And so to me, it's all 
it's all the tools we can get. Like, let's just fill the quiver with as many tools as we can. And, and undoubtedly, psychology is a massive tool for us. And that's why I rely on folks like Sarah and the two of you over there. Yeah. I mean, to me, it just in everything, like integrated approach, like really looking at the whole person, it always made intuitive sense to me. I've never practiced from any other lens. And, you know, when you're fortunate enough to sort of stumble upon people, because you stumble upon super great experts all the time, but when you stumble upon people where you, you like speak the same language, even though you're coming at it from really different lenses, it just becomes so much more enjoyable. And I think more effective. I think it's more effective for the audience, the guest, the clients, the experience of the person who wants to absorb the information and the skills and the practices that you're sort of peddling. I think you've hit on another shared thing that brought us together, which is just the belief that if you're looking to instill change, positive change in another human being or a group of human beings, you have to look at it from every possible perspective. Sometimes that is psychology. Sometimes that is neuroscience. Sometimes that's nutrition. Sometimes that's movement. Sometimes that's recovery. And those are all the pillars that we have to be paying attention to. And we both have that shared belief that this is not just a single lens. That's not the most effective way. We need to use multiple tools and lenses if we're going to really serve people in the best way that we can. Yeah. It's also healthy for the client, not to belabor this, but it's healthy for the person and the people and the teams you're working with because it models taking them out of their own siloed, rigid, one-dimensional thinking patterns. That is how we actually, as coaches or therapists or team leaders in any way, we model it. So when you're bringing in collaboration and you're saying, hey, listen, I know we got the space between the ears and we're talking about all this stuff, but you have a brain, you have a body, you have a nervous system, right? It forces the clients to actually begin to live from that truth. Mm -hmm. That is the truth of the system underneath Mm -hmm. the hood. Okay. So this emphasis on growth and the wholeness of a person, all these angles, brings us nicely onto a kind of a clear connection with your work and your areas of expertise and the theme of this show, human flourishing. So we're focusing here on science and research that can better help human beings flourish and thrive. And I suppose that's a a clearly related theme to these various things you've been saying. And we'd like to ask our guests kind of how they think of flourishing, because it's a a concept, there's various definitions on the table and various ways of thinking about this. And I think we got onto some of this then, but we'd love to ask you, so Sarah is a licensed psychologist, executive coach and Jedi of the unconscious. What does it mean to you? And Chris is an academic and applied neuroscientist. How do you conceptualize flourishing? We'd love to hear. Okay. So first is, I mean, look, it's, it's multi-pronged. Okay. And sometimes taking our eye off of flourishing is kind of the starting point. Like, how do we get to flourishing? I always kind of take the the notion of it's any portal in. We just gave you five to start with, right? All roads lead home. All roads lead home. If you're truly invested in this process of life, and your career is kind of one expression of that, but if you're invested in this process as a path of mastery, and we sort of know what that, you know, we can break that down as well. But 
assume when you're hearing me say it, that it sort of involves like, you've got to embrace failure. You've got to embrace risk. You got to live sort of just outside your comfort zone. You have to learn how to have flexibility psychologically, emotionally. If we kind of invest in that over time, the byproduct is that we start to have moments of flourishing. And then the only other thing I try to emphasize to people is just like success or performance or kind of any of these things, these rungs of achievement, it's impermanent. The moment you try to hang on to it, same with flourishing, it's gone. At the moment you hang on to it, it's gone because now there's desperation, there's longing, there's all this other stuff that comes in. So love it loosely. It comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. It's how I sort of think about it. It sounds like the happiness paradox, right? Like the the studies that show when you put happiness as the goal, as opposed to just focusing on the pathway, ironically, the destination ends up being kind of problematic. Got to focus on the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Chris? You took the words out of my mouth there. I, I think of that word flourishing much the way I think of happiness, that it's not a place you're trying to get to. It's what shows up along the way. If you're doing things in a good order and you're and you're you've got the right habits and you're taking care of all the things in your life that's at a personal level that's at within your community within your family and your friend group and all of the rest of it i think flourishing is what sort of shows up and it's not a permanent place but that's okay over time when you have these ups and downs life is full of ups and downs and the, if you can navigate that and you can approach it with that sort of growth mindset where there's something to be learned in all of these moments, good or bad, right? What shows up there is a more resilient self. And but I, I would I would add one thing to this, which I, I suppose is a, a crossover area of interest for all of us on this podcast, which is the idea of flow, right? I mean, that is the state which you know we find our best self, right? Or our loss of our other self. And what shows up is this deep immersion in the moment we're in and we feel our best and we perform our best. There's some crossover here between flow and flourishing. I mean, the words are even connected, right? So I, I to me, thinking about flow and the cycle of flow really speaks to this, how we, you know, we navigate our way through the struggle and hopefully we release into flow and then we have to take care of recovery on the back end. If we can really nail those four steps of the cycle. I think flourishing is a byproduct of that. And if I can add something here that I think could be of value, if you're listening and you think to yourself like, huh, okay, well, that's interesting. How, how can I have more flow in my life? Don't seek flow learn to tolerate struggle. And then after an episode of struggle with or without flow showing up, because it can be sort of vague at first, recover. So we can dive into recover. If you focus on the bookends, you will start to experience because the things that bump us out of having these pockets of optimal or non-ordinary states of consciousness, sort of optimal performance that Chris is talking about are the bookends. That's what I find. It's it's an intolerance for struggle or, and it's that after you get an episode of flow, micro, macro, doesn't matter. You don't put energy back in your budget, your metabolic budget. And that's a path to burnout. That's like a cheat sheet. You want more flow in your life? Learn to sort of with a little bit of grace, tolerate discomfort a whole lot of self-awareness and self-regulation and all the things that are uncomfortable, which is why we move out of discomfort into action. 
learn to get comfortable there and then really recover, focus on sleep, focus on the things where you're depleted and you'll start to have more flow. Does that sound not too car sales, Minnie, to you guys? No, it sounds on point. I mean, John and I always say that our listeners are probably getting sick of hearing it at this point that I would wager, what do you think, John? At least half of our episodes, half of our guests, the topic of taking on distress, navigating unpleasantness, being comfortable with the uncomfortable, Anna Lemke, like the do hard things, teeter-totter, the dopamine system, it comes up over and over and over again. And this is one of the things I wanted to ask you both about, because you, you both know, like, a lot of my training is in sort of the positive psychology world. So I, I agree with everything I just said. And there's the Barbara Fredrickson broaden and build theory of positive emotions. There's the Sonia Lear-Bormirsky, the, the happiness advantage or the well-being boost, if you will, right? I'm curious how in your own lives or your work with clients or at Exos, you might help someone navigate that sort of build the good, right? But also be willing to take on and endure and navigate the, not the bad, but the unpleasant, if you will. Well, I'll, I'll start on that one. I think I think the first thing you really have to do is sort of build the value proposition for why struggle is so important. And, I, and you said it comes up over and over and over again because there's a there's an underlying truth there. The example I could give from my academic background is if you're looking to get better at something, if you're looking to progress, learn, and do that more mm -hmm. quickly. The way to do that is to add challenge into the practice environment. It's called contextual interference. Some people call it desirable difficulties, depending on which literature you read. Mm. But what you see happening in the practice environment, when you add this challenge through whatever means you want to do it, there's a lot of struggle in practice. And the person who's doing the practicing doesn't like it. And the coach who's watching it quite often doesn't like to see it. And we have to remember that Ultimately, that's not where learning is. Learning is what happens the next day, especially when there's pressure on the next day. And if you look at all the research here, it is the group that is struggling during the practice time that ultimately is learning more quickly. It looks like struggle and it feels like struggle. And so we, first of all, have to change our mindset around struggle. This is all of what Carol Dweck talks about in Growth Mindset. That is the magic, right? So if you can understand and you can convince people that Look, if we're trying to get better faster, this is the way to do it. And then from there, there are actual things you can do to increase your tolerance for discomfort. And there are ways to get reps with stress on purpose. And all of those things can build up a resilience over time. But I'll, I'll maybe leave it there and let Sarah jump in. Well, actually, Chris, would you take us down that road a little bit here? Sure. And, and John's going to take us back to shadow boxing. I think there's probably implications sure. on this element of the conversation. But one of our goals for this show is to take what is primarily academic, sometimes theoretical, mm. and make it really pragmatic. So when sure. you think of one, two, three different ways that you might practice that, what comes to mind? I'll tell you what my favorite is and what Sarah's favorite is, which is cold. Everybody's cold plunging these days. And there's a million reasons why you should or could cold plunge. Nobody should, but why you could. There's great research that it aids in sort of physical recovery, right? If you're working your body really hard, there are benefits there, all sorts of benefits. But one of the benefits of controlled exposure to cold water, especially, is that it gives you an opportunity to practice dealing with the stress response in real time. So 
we actually run exercises with people where we get them to go in and we just watch to see what happens. And your mind starts to fray and you're breathing, you stop breathing, you tighten up, everything gets tense and your nervous system is freaking out and you want to jump out. And we teach people in those moments to pay attention to those signals, to build self-awareness in the midst of that chaos. And then when you go back in with the next time, maybe we teach them a strategy, teach them a breathing strategy to downregulate in the face of that cold. So then they learn that there are tools at their disposal at all times that they can use in the face of stress, i.e. cold in this case, that can really help push back on that sympathetic stress response and help you manage it. And that builds empowerment and confidence to take into the rest of your life. Hi, friends. Nick here with just a brief interlude to share with you an update on one of our newest partnerships with the Anti-Fragile Academy. Throughout John and I's conversations with many, if not most, of our guests, one thing has been made really clear. In order for people to flourish, thrive, experience the good life, they need to develop the capacity to not only navigate and endure, but ideally grow from the bad, grow from unpleasant experiences. That's why we're thrilled to be partnering with our newest sponsor, the Anti-Fragile Academy, an organization that I co-founded with Dr. Adam Wright, Director of Mental Performance for the Washington Nationals. At the Anti-Fragile Academy, we work with adolescent athletes, executives, and educators to help them understand some of the science, not just of optimal performance, but of well-being and anti-fragility. The ability not only to endure and bounce back from unpleasantness, but to actually come back stronger, to grow from it. Between Adam and I, we've worked with Fortune 100 companies, Inc. 300 executives, Division I programs, and elite professional athletes and Olympians from all over the world. To find out more about how you can leverage anti-fragility training, check out our website at theantifragileacademy.com. There's a couple things I would just sort of amplify that everything Chris described about the learning process, all that friction that has to be present and how it happens sort of in these intense episodes. And then there's the learning, the consolidation of the learning takes place after the fact. I would just say that it's a let's go back and listen to it because I don't want to waste the minutes. But the same exact principle happens for psychological and emotional development and growth and change. When we identify that maybe what's holding us back is a psychological feature tied to our physiology, that we identify that and we're like, how am I going to unlearn this? Chris just gave you the steps. And certainly the starting gate. So I, I'd sort of highlight that, that that that's just a first principle of learning or development, which is a form of learning, right? And then the only other thing I would say is that we, we were talking about like, how would we convince people that like the struggle is relevant? Just clinically speaking, I never have convinced anybody of anything, mm. not once. Mm. So, you know, I gave up on that a long time ago. And all you can do is provide people with information and readiness sort of is a an elusive timing thing, right? But now they have the information. It's sort of there and it percolates and but people are ready when they're ready. 
And that just goes back to like tried and true science on all kinds of things around, you know, codependence and certainly in substance abuse, we see this, right? So same principles apply like just across human behavior usually. And the same is like this. It's like, we're never going to convince somebody to embrace struggle. What's going to happen is struggle is going to happen. Like it's going to show up on your doorstep and then you have to deal with it. And then you will eventually, the pain teaches, the pain convinces us is the truth. The decisions that are not working for us cause pain in our life. And eventually pain initiates the convincing. Like, okay, all right, I cry uncle. If you fall in the camp of feeling unconvincible, I too am the same kind of human being. I think the the secret then, Sarah, is is to learn how to tap into that pain before it becomes too overwhelming, right? It's and this is where some of these skills that you mentioned earlier, becoming a bit more self-aware, like tuning into the early warning signs of pain or stress or whatever it is that's showing up. Like struggle, it feels it's subtle at first and then it screams, right? And the better we can get at noticing when we need a break, when we need rest when we're not feeling maybe switched on, when we want to be switched on, the earlier we can detect where our starting points are, i.e. by becoming more mindful of what's happening in mind and in body, the better chance we have to pivot in a more optimal direction. So I think at the heart of this becomes really a discussion about how we can build this self-awareness, inner awareness, whatever we want to call it. I think that's a really good starting point for people. Which segues to my other favorite tool. So cold as a teacher, you know, it pushes you right up against your, you know, you see very quickly who you are when your back's against the wall, when you are submerged in cold. And that's a biologic response. And you should see that. That is what the design of that kind of system shock should do to you if it is working properly, right? So first, we just have a smidge of gratitude there. But the other is stillness. It's very provocative to ask people to be completely present or attempt. I mean, I don't know that I've ever achieved it, but attempt to be completely present in your own relationship with yourself. I haven't met to date, and I'm 20 years deep between all the different ways I work with humans. I've never met somebody that doesn't push back on it as a practice. Most that go in, go in kicking and screaming, current company included. So <laughs> I think play with that. That'll make you really uncomfortable. And you, by the way, you go into shadow boxing, you're going to shadow box with 6,000 excuses why you don't have time for this. Okay. And all of them are true and all of them are bullshit. So just observe the shadow boxing. Like that's where the work is happening. Nothing is wasted. Just getting your ass in the seat to be still for a minute or two. You are going to go through seven layers of Dante's Inferno. (laughs) Godspeed and good luck. I really think that's a great call out, Sarah, because we all know the books, right? Like do the hard thing and the obstacle is the way. People read that and they think, well, I have to go and, you know, go Mach 3 down a mountain bike trail, or I have to go and get into a sauna at 200 degrees, right? It's always something that's going to really, like, we're going to feel challenged because we're going to do something hard. The hardest thing for anybody, especially those hard chargers out there to do, is to just sit still 
and be with themselves and even maybe try to meditate. There's nothing more difficult for that particular profile. <laughs> so I think when it comes to doing hard things, that's very person specific, right? So the hard thing might be the thing that you just don't want to do. And that's sit still and pay attention to your thoughts for five minutes if you can. All right. So we got various possible ways that I, th I think this question is going then because we want to explore now the connection between shadow boxing and flourishing. And you've intimated various ways this could be done. The Dante description was one that I can imagine gets us to the answer. But to you first, Sarah, how do you see the role then of shadow boxing in flourishing as you've defined it there as this thing where, you know, if you focus on it, it kind of becomes elusive. It's it's kind of in your life. It's it's a way of being, if you like. But if you focus too hard on it, maybe then you're not flourishing in that moment, or that's maybe that confusing what it is based on how you described it earlier. What role does shadow boxing play within this web? In an optimal world, it's your training ground. It's sort of where you're wrestling with all the stuff we've talked about, right? It's where the work is taking place. And there's loads of ways that can take place. We just said cold meditation. I've done therapy for years with people. I've been in therapy myself. We do coaching, group work, maybe on the trails alone. It might be, you know, there's a gazillion ways that you can entertain this sort of interior landscape. But you touch on a good thing. Too little and you're oblivious. Too much and you are ruminative and often anxious or potentially even depressed. Right. It is a Goldilocks. That's why everything is sort of impermanent, right? We're not saying like that's the hard chargers mentality. It's like, I have to do this 100%. No, you don't. Nobody does. There is no 100%. That's just another cage that you're locking yourself into. And if you're working with me, we're going to look at all those cages and we're going to see that, first of all, you hold the hand that holds you down. Usually there are other factors as well. And also you had the keys all along. So it's like, you know, this is a love story in the end. It all works itself out for most of us. Now I don't live in the, you know, I'm, I work clinically still, so I'm not Pollyannish. There's real stuff. And for some people it doesn't work itself out. So we're talking in generalities because we kind of have to, we can, we can, double click on a different episode of when it doesn't. There is a dark side to high performance. And I am just the gal to engage in a conversation around that. I'm really intrigued by it, right? But let's say usually it works itself out. So when we have this set and this sort of suite of tools, we're, we're only talking about a few of them. But if you're tuned in here, you probably have a sense of what we're talking about. All of these sort of self-awareness and self-regulatory tools and practices and techniques that we use in order to glimpse ourselves, sort of where our blind spots and our weak points are, right? And we train there. Shadow boxing is where you work it out. It's how you, best I can tell, stumble toward some sort of meaning and purpose in life. So I know that's a really hopeful anthem. That's great. Then we should also, before we also pose this question for Chris, for our listeners, really get clear on what exactly shadow boxing is, the way you're both using it here. It's kind of this, this term used to refer to the internal battles and struggles you have with yourself. The shadow is the, the other side of yourself as well, or other sides of yourself that you're, we're always battling with. And 
that can come in degrees. For example, you get these other rumination there, so where you deeply ruminate things and all these different versions of yourself are showing up all these voices and so on, navigating that space. I take it that's what you mean by shadow boxing. So same to you then, Chris, what's the role of that in flourishing? How do you see that? Well, I think, I don't know that I could add a lot to what Sarah's description was, and I think it, she's a hundred percent right. And, and what I will maybe say is that w- what she was talking about and what we've been talking about so far is, you know, if this is me, if this is how am I going to attempt to build my life in a way where flourishing can be a part of the equation, everything Sarah just said and everything we've talked about so far, I think really hits that. I would actually like to give a bit of a nod to anybody who is maybe out there in the coaching world and how this can, if you're, if you're in the business of trying to help other people flourish, let's say, so if you're a coach, let's say you're a therapist, let's say you're a parent, anything that could fall under the rubric of a coach. I think the really important thing here, and I alluded to this a little bit, but it's one thing to go through the battle yourself. It's another thing to watch somebody else go through it. And we really have to be careful about how we have this tendency to sort of lean in and help, right? There's a ton of great research in my particular area where if you're giving people a lot of feedback, let's say you're coaching somebody in a like a um, learning a musical instrument, right? If you're giving them a lot of feedback, you know, they try it and you're there, you're helping and you're there. You know, that's really good in the early stages. Like when you're just beginning a process, having somebody there to bounce a lot of information off can be really, really important, but the returns diminish quite quickly. And at the end of it, if you're giving a lot of feedback, you're actually getting in the way of learning. Your Their learning curve slows down. It starts to regress. So I think the lesson here, if you are in the business of helping people to learn to help them help themselves. Yes. This is where good questions come in, the timely questions, the art of coaching that has to blend in with the science. I just think we have to learn to get comfortable in the coaching world or the teaching world, whatever it is we're going to call it, in just being patient with people as they go through their struggle and not jump in too quickly to help because ultimately that's going to be counterproductive. Whenever I'm working with or training new coaches, one of the things I say, and this is obviously somewhat philosophical, but it really resonates with what you just said, Chris. Not always, but typically a coach's job is to put themselves out of business with that particular client, right? To get it to a point where you are no longer necessary. So I I love everything you just said. I would also say to that is like, I always think of it as my responsibility is to try to get out of the way. Mm. There's a way that we can be in the way and you're trying to be just so fully present that you're just present enough to not be in the way. And, and it's a, for me, it's definitely a feeling more than a cognitive state. So feelings an interesting word because this is where I wanted to go next. You've both referenced this multiple times. I think I texted you last weekend as well and mentioned that I really enjoyed your episode with Dr. Kennedy. And I think there's probably a lot of tie-ins here because when I hear shadow boxing, my head goes straight to top-down internal dialogue, right? But what I've heard multiple times now, what I think you really elicited in that episode is that there's, for lack of a better phrase, sort of a bottom-up element or a full nervous system physiological element to this. And I wonder if you could speak to that and its role in shadow boxing, but maybe just flourishing in general as well. This is one of the areas where Chris and I, like early on, realized we completely agreed. 
And I remember when we had this conversation. So I generally believe that biology trumps psychology. So early in my career, because I wasn't trained in positive psychology, interestingly enough, I had never heard about positive psychology once in 10 years of academic training through a master's and a doctoral program. Mm. I never learned, I never took a class on happiness, Mm. let alone fulfillment or contentment. Mm -hmm. It was all pathology. But what I was trained in is like, you can think your way out of thinking problems. And, you know, I bumped up against this non-truthful fact about human beings for years in my early years in my private practice. You have to leverage biology to get in with psychology. I very, like about probably 12 or 15 years ago, I really settled that score for myself. And once I got that clear, I think my approach with clients became a much more rewarding experience for mm. them. And it, it became so fundamental. Some might call it simple, but I see it as not complicated, not easy. This, it is hard to sell people on the fact that you can cut your anxious processes, even if it's not a disorder, in half mm-hmm. by engaging a regular breath practice. That's two to seven minutes a day. Do it for 365 days, two to seven minutes a day. And you can do it anywhere, driving in your car, laying in bed. You don't, you can stack it with other things and they still push back. And I get it because I'm more human than anybody, right? But we we just have this thing in us. It's like, I can solve this. And it's like, no, you can't. You're going to have to breathe your way out of this conundrum. And there's other ways. So I think what you're picking up on with the Dr. Ross conversation, and I just adore him. He's another one that I was like, oh, we speak a very similar language, is that much of this is like it lie. The body never lies. The mind will trick you. The brain will fool you regularly. But the body really doesn't lie. And you can you can greet a lot of solutions at the physical level. It's great. I want to hear from Chris in a second, but in a few weeks, we're having Annie Murphy Paul on to chat about, I think, things similar to this as well. So you're already planting some seeds in terms of some questions we might ask her. That's that's a really wonderful answer. Thanks, Sarah. Chris? Yeah, no, I, I think one of the things I think is really great about the intersection of neuroscience and psychology is it's it, it allows us to demystify terms like the mind-body connection, right? It's sort of, that's a term that I think scientists kind of bristled at along for a long time, but let's be clear here, at, at the biological level, there are connections between mind and body and the connections and the information travel in both directions. Mind can change what's happening in your body. Anybody who's ever woken up in the middle of the night and felt their heart racing because of thought patterns knows that feeling to be true. The opposite is true as well. Anytime you've gotten out and gone for a walk and all of a sudden you feel really great and clear in your head, that's the body working upwards to change the mind. Now, we know these things to be true. And so when it when it comes to which work, which don't, I mean, to me, it's it's all tools, any port in a storm, I think, right? So for me, one of the groups that I spend a lot of time with are crazy big air snowboarders. They have to sit atop a 300-yard in-run to a 90-foot gap jump, and they're going to try to spin five times this time instead of four and do that for the first time in human history. When they're sitting up there, 
is this the time, Chris? Like, are we going to go here? Is, are, is the wind right? And in those moments, let's be really clear. These people are brimming with fear and self-doubt and not positive self-talk, right? There's a lot going on. So what can you do in real time? Yes, you can try to solve it with a thinking solution. Hey, let's remember, you got this, you know, like you've done something like this before. Okay, maybe that works. And if it does, great, good, let's go. But if it doesn't, what else do we have at our disposal? How can we calm our nervous system? Sarah just talked about breathing. Extended exhalations we know engage the parasympathetic nervous system, which calm mind and body simultaneously. And those are just some of the things. So to me, again, these skills and tools, put them all in your pack and just start going through them because sometimes one of them helps, sometimes two, some neither of sometimes neither. And we just need to keep grasping at things that we know are evidence-based and practical for real-time fixes when we're really up against it. Perfect. Arrows in your quiver, right? That's what I took away from that episode as somebody who's, you know, kind of taught CBT for a long time and has its place and has its uses, right? If there's limitations as well. And I just thought it was an excellent episode. So I hope all our listeners check that one out in particular. Yeah. And that seems to be a wonderful example of, of shadow boxing, right? This person is there battling with these voices of self-doubt, limiting beliefs and so on. And like you say, Chris, maybe, maybe they can just verbally, as it were, engage one of those voices, but maybe there needs to be a different strategy there to get rid of all the shadow boxes. Yeah. You know, sometimes wrestling the mind with the mind helps. And sometimes that's a, that's a tough fight. I know for me, it is. I know that when I feel anxious or nervous about a situation, telling myself things doesn't often help all that much, despite all the time I and reading I've done on how to tell myself better, have a better inner dialogue. And so for me, the the tools that work are using sort of these bottom-up strategies where you engage the body in some way, breathing or movement or otherwise, to sort of shift the state of your mind for you. And all of a sudden you just become, you you arrive in a different headspace. That helps. And I just think everybody needs to explore all of these different practices because what works for me doesn't work for everybody else. It's what works for you, but know all the tools that are available and then choose choose the ones that work for you specifically. Awesome. Well, you, you've both given a wealth of practical advice on this episode, stillness, cold water, exposure, ways to grapple with or overcome those shadow boxes. And we'd like to connect some of these practical strategies up with our not at all cheesy signature <laughs> question we ask in every episode, which we innovatively titled The Flourishing Question. So to both of you, what's the one lesson on flourishing you want our listeners to walk away with? And what might a practical step be for putting that lesson into action? Go to you first, Sarah. Okay. Read the question out loud again so it's completely authentic. <laughs> What is one lesson, the one lesson on flourishing that you want our listeners to walk away with and what might be a practical step for putting that into action? Don't get hung up on flourishing. Just wake up tomorrow and choose one thing that we talked about today and do it. And what does do it look like? Okay, then ask yourself, what am I willing to do? Answer it. Maybe it's a minute of meditation. Maybe it's just your feet in cold water. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you're going to look at your sleep. We gave the five wheels earlier. 
do the minimum amount you're willing to commit to more days than not for a bunch of days and see how you feel. That would be my really deep down practical advice. Perfect. I could get more philosophical, That's but perfect. I won't bore you. That's okay. really great, that. Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. Love that. Yeah, for me, I think it would be, I'm going to go back to our our conversation about flow and the cycle of flow and how that fourth step around recovery really is your starting point. It's the fourth stage of the flow cycle, but it's where everybody frankly needs to start. You know, I always tell people when people say, oh, you're a flow coach, how do you get into flow more? And I said, well, if you don't want to get into flow, the most reliable way to do that is be really under recovered regularly. Like don't sleep well and don't take breaks during the day. And that will guarantee you to be locked out of flow and any chance of real flourishing in your life. So to me, it's making sure you're getting that foundation set by being properly recovered. We all know what it feels like to travel and be jet lagged. And what's it like to try to show up as the best version of yourself in those moments? It's next to impossible. And if that's what we're doing to ourselves each and every day, we're just stacking the deck against ourselves. So really doubling down on recovery practices, starting with sleep, baking in some of these other practices that Sarah talked about, meditation, try to do some breath work, just try to do things that are going to serve your nervous system and put a little energy back into the battery. So we're not always taking out those withdrawals. That to me is going to give everybody the best chance over the long term of flourishing and just, you know, feeling better. Love it. Dr. Chris Bertram, Dr. Sarah Sarkis, this was absolutely awesome. I knew it would be so many good tips, but also just great quotes as well. We're going to wrap up here, but before we do, we just tell our audience a little bit about where they can find you, engage with you, learn more about your work and learn from you. Sure. I'll go first. Well, first of all, so glad that we made this happen. It was really fun. Same, and I'm yeah. always so flattered that anybody wants to sit and listen to me chat. <laughs> I have a website, drsarasarkis.com, and you can tune in to Exos. Chris and I work together at Exos, and we're doing really fun stuff there that you can check out and tune into. Thanks again for having me. Great. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, for me, all my social handles are something like at Dr. Chris Bertram, all one word. I'm not really active on social media, but fairly active. I post occasionally. So you can see what I'm up to there. But yeah, I think if you're interested in the kinds of things we talk about, if you're an organization, if you're an athlete looking for answers, or if you're just an everyday person, certainly, yeah, the work we do with Exos, TeamExos.com. That's where Sarah and I spend a lot of our waking hours these days and some really fun projects and some really great work going on over there. So yeah, any of those places would be just great. And, and yeah, and I, I just wanted to make sure to say the same from Sarah. Thanks for having us here. I love the podcast, love the work that you're doing. I love to tune in and, and to learn more about the positive side of the human experience. I commend you both on the work you're doing here and elsewhere. So thanks for bringing us in and letting us be a part of it. Our pleasure. Yeah. Thanks so much, T-Bolt. Huge thanks to all of you for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, please share it with friends, family, colleagues, and be sure to leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can also find us on all social media platforms. Uh, we've got our own YouTube channel, and you can check out our website at flourishfmpodcast.com. We'd also love to hear from you. There's a survey in the show notes you can complete where you can complete any suggestions on guests you'd like to hear us interview or particular topics or themes you'd like to hear us talk about 
we'd love to hear your feedback on that. So your feedback would be greatly appreciated if you could fill out that form. Until next time, thank you very much for joining us today. And keep putting in the work.